Welcome to the Amplifying Optimism in Education podcast, where we connect with educators from across the globe who are creating a better future for learning and educating now by implementing bold ideas and fostering a sense of curiosity, creativity, and possibility. We're thrilled for yet another installment in our series with Pamela Gaudet as we talk about her amazing book, Like No Other School Year. Today, we are joined by two of the co-authors in her book, uh, Megan Hallam and Daniel Cruz. Megan is the Director of Student Support Services, and Daniel is the Educational Technology Coordinator at the Lehman Manhattan Preparatory School. I'm going to kick it over to Pamela to get us started. Megan and Daniel had done this amazing survey of 1,145 teachers during COVID teachings. And I would just like to start out to ask Megan and Daniel, what was your motivation and why did you start surveying teachers? Well, uh, so I had reached out to Daniel. Uh, we, we were working together uh, pretty early on in March because we were connected internationally through our various international experiences. So we we were kind of looking at our colleagues overseas and seeing what they were going through. Uh, and so we had already started some conversations with colleagues. We were trying to get ahead of it, find answers. And we were also looking on professional groups. We had various professional groups on school psychologists and, and Daniel was looking on the technology professional groups. And we were trying to find these answers to bring back to our school. And really what we could see was that other people had similar questions, but it was really confusing to find answers or to organize the information. And so as we were trying to look for uh, patterns and, and bring this information back to our school, we, we just realized that there is a need here to gather and share information for the benefit of, of our colleagues in our field. So beyond our own school, that this, uh, that this survey would, would serve a purpose to, to other colleagues in a similar position. Yes, Megan, you're absolutely right. It was very interesting because it was, um, I think it was the end of February last year. COVID uh, started to emerge in, in Asia, and uh, we heard from through colleagues that uh, some schools were taking action. They were doing stuff. They were preparing for a, a potential online move. We were curious uh, about what would we do if that were to happen here. And um, I remember um, talking to a colleague in China that teaches in Beijing, an old colleague of mine, and um, and we sat down on a Saturday morning to talk about what they were doing, how they were using PowerSchool, and how were they using Zoom as their main, main platform for communication with students and all that. So, so we were sort of like collecting all that information and we and trying to sort of like put it in 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 a safe place there in case we had to decide or move to to an online uh, platform. I remember Megan. I don't know if you remember that that meeting that we have admin meeting, sort of like deciding if that was going to to be the case. And I would say that table was divided 50-50, 50% of administrators saying this won't happen. This is the USA, and that we never we'll never go into a lockdown. And the other one, the other half, saying well, we, maybe we should explore the idea. And then um, that article came out on the New York Times with this uh, Danish school that was Im implementing this hybrid model. We decided to interview the, the principal, Megan. We, again, on a Saturday morning early, uh, we sat with this uh, principal of this school that, who was uh, telling us about rotations and hybrids and cohorts and things like that when, when we had no idea that we were going to actually go ahead and implement it. So it was more curiosity than anything trying to be one step ahead. When you were talking to people who were going through it and trying to bring that information back here, what was that dissemination process like? And, and when you talked about the split of being 50-50, how did you kind of deal with the fact that, hey, let's try to push some of the other 50% so that we are prepared for something like this in the event that it actually does happen? The print, school principal was on the 50% of the open-minded people I it, it came it sort of like landed on fertile ground, so it that little seed landed in the right place, and I think that's key. That's important. People in, in that have uh, positions of power, if 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 they allow that little space for 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 doubt, for questions, for uh, I don't know, like uh, if if they let you sort of like explore these ideas, uh, things are likely to 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 work out. 
So I think that was, in my opinion, Megan, I think that was a, a key element that uh, the, the right people, uh, they were willing to listen. I would agree. And I think that the fact that we were able to bring in such practical information and, and visuals as well, so that we could show ahead of time what this might look like, that was really helpful that we gathered very early on from colleagues. And so people being able to grasp that, and even if they didn't believe that that was going to happen, and I would say the majority of the people we were working with did not, would not have predicted where we were going but we were able to use uh, our last week of school in very early March to distribute uh, the technology that was needed. We were able to hold training sessions. We were able to do so much planning because we said, well, let's just treat this as a what if. And, and because everyone sort of had that idea in mind and we had been talking about it, I think, like Daniel said, it fell on fertile ground. And, and it was kind of like, you know, first aid training or CPR training, they, they never really thought we were going to use it, but they were going to go along with it. And, uh, and so we were really well positioned to, as soon as, as soon as we were due to come back to school, to be able to, to pivot to, to online. It was, so that was, that was, again, the leadership at our school, I think was, was crucial. What has kind of carried through and has worked for you guys and, and, and how have you seen things evolve? It is very interesting because we were in, um, I think we to, un to fully understand what has happened in these uh, few months, you have to also look back to what was happening in 2019 or before, before COVID in terms of technology right. and, and, right. and students having access to internet. I remember sending one of these newsletters to faculty about, um, I, I, I don't recall, but it was definitely before, before COVID and we were talking about uh, technology, technology in the classroom, uh, how we were using technology um, for uh, creation, for innovation, more than research and more than um, uh, presentations and, and things like that. So we were asking ourselves all those, those questions. Just let me give you a, an, an, an example of, of, those of the questions we were asking. In the lower school, in third grade, um, we wanted to introduce Google Docs. This is pre-COVID. Uh, so we wanted to start having those uh, students in front of, of a computer writing documents, having access to, to the technology and getting uh, familiar with the technology. And we had questions about uh, screen time. Uh, we had uh, families coming asking us questions about privacy and things like that. Our school, our lower school principal, is a, a firm believer of of, um, of third graders working with analog stuff, uh, cutting, pasting, manipulating, and things like that, which are completely valid. So we were in in, in the middle of, of of sort of like understanding the the or like reimagining technology in education. So. We looked at research, and in, in 2019, we, we saw that 17% uh, of, 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 of the, what they call the, how do you call the, um, the Title I school, 17% uh, of students didn't have access to internet, didn't have access to, to um, the technology they needed to, to complete assignments. And in, in non-Title I schools, it was a 4% of, 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 um, of students not having access to, to all this technology. So... Before COVID, we were in a in a in a situation that that where our students were not using technology for for education for 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 academic purposes. Our our students were using technology for entertainment and for things like that, and they they appear to be very very tech savvy. But only when 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 COVID hit, we truly started to identify those holes that existed in our in our in, in our approach to technology. So that's sort of like uncovered and all our, our our deficiencies. Our upper school population was in a in a in a better position because for some reason they were more exposed to to the uh, submit to the submission of assignments by uh, electronic means. By they were more they were more involved in the in the in the in using um, learning systems and things like that. So. Uh, 
all, all this to say that uh, we already were in a, in a, in a, in a complex position where, where we didn't know how to use technology in the classroom. We didn't know how to use uh, a lot of these uh, technology tools. And COVID sort of like pushed us to ask, us, or ask ourselves these bigger questions. And, and I would probably add, as, as Daniel was working on all of that, <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, uh, my background is as a school psychologist. So as I was looking at some of the schools and, and talking with people overseas, we early on really understood that there was going to be a social emotional component, not just for the students, but for the staff. And so that was something for me that, Right away, I realized that we were going to have to set up structures like coffee um, in the morning, coffee groups for for the educators to come together and increase support to students and working with teachers to be able to support students, working with teachers on how to engage with students, our students sort of left school and went to various time zones. So they became asynchronous. And so that was a whole different relationship for teachers to have with students. So we were getting ahead of that because we'd already seen that in, in other schools. So for, for me, a lot of that, that information that I was gathering was about how do I support the people in the school when we now our, our school becomes online? How do we maintain and strengthen those relationships because we also saw the impact on, and I, I was uh, working in a school in Italy for three years. And, and so that's where a lot of my information from Italy came from. And so people not being able to leave their, their houses and feel safe and, and have that limitation in that way too, the, the physical limitation. So we were immediately working with our, uh, our sports director and how we could infuse that more into the day because kids would be in their houses. And of course, being located in New York city, that was especially true for us because we were hit so hard and so early in all of this, that those were the things that I was really trying to bring in from our conversations overseas of how I was going to support people that social emotional infusing physical as part of that emotional and mental support too. I think um, just to add to, to that, Megan, I think we also very early on decided to put communication at the, at the top, communicating effectively and communicating, giving families and, and students and faculty information that is relevant and, and timely. I think that was uh, kind of like an agreement that we, we reached very early on. And I, I, I also think that was a, a good move. I, I would agree, Daniel, because we also saw early on, which was so unusual, was how we as a school also had this responsibility to support parents in a way that we never had before, because the parents were then becoming part, so much a part of this educational process, but also themselves. Did we lose Megan for a sec? Yeah, this, I, I think that's a, a very, very key point that she was uh, bringing up. Uh, and, and Pamela, I don't know if, if you, if you uh, experienced this or if you have heard this from other um, um, communities, but in, in our case, in our school, before COVID, we were in a situation where we, want, we wanted families to, to be a more active part of 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 the teaching and learning before before COVID, right? We moved, we migrated to a platform called PowerSchool Unified Classroom. So we we we, as Megan said before, we invited them to morning coffees, to town halls, and all that, and we made presentations so on on why it was so important for them to come and see all these uh, class pages and all these information sites that we had implemented, and we struggled. We really struggled. We, I think, the analytics of Unified Classroom were saying like four percent of families were were looking at our pages. And what after COVID, what happened was that we started; those families started to come to the pages. They started to become more active uh, um, members, or more, an active, more active part of the of the community, of the of the of that learning component. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think that this is an important piece that I, I found from my research and from talking to educators that uh, parents needed to be brought in a different way, right? We, I think that a lot of schools and districts were really thinking about how do parents contribute before this, as you said, Daniel, but suddenly they were not just a stakeholder that had to be sent flyers and communications and make sure that they had the report cards. They were active participants for the first time when online learning happened. And, and I'm wondering about your research with teachers and did you go into anything uh, in, in your early research or your continuing research about how parents are different partners or is that assumption correct? I would definitely say that the assumption is correct. I think, I think that there has been, we've heard about, you know, the increased attendance at parent teacher conferences in, in a more positive way. And then sometimes we do hear during our focus groups a little bit of the of the negative, the, the parent behind the student, perhaps um, for some students say taking some testing at home, is, is that testing, is that assessment valid or has there been too much assistance? So it's, it has been this, this interesting new relationship, but I, I think that parents understanding so much more about the education of their child and being involved so much more has been really impactful, except in the cases where uh, they recognize that a student doesn't have that important adult at home to support this, the, the, the child and that their learning is suffering because they don't have somebody there to guide them through everything. And, and so that's, that's been really interesting too, because there's been, there's been this increase in the relationship, but some parents aren't able to be present. And, and I just read an, an article about this kindergarten at night for the younger students and how some places are being more flexible because parents are working and there's kindergarten and, and some of the, for some of the, the uh, earlier grades, the younger grades, that they're recognizing how important that adult at home is and they're adjusting school hours so that they can have that adult present to support the child's learning. This interesting how to, how we understood the importance of the caregiver after, after the end, after this, this, the first uh, lockdown, after the first um, wave of online learning that we had. And uh, we re and that's something that we definitely worked on this for this year. I've had sessions here at home with families at six thirty, at seven, seven, seven thirty. Families of of uh, especially in low in the lower school in the pre uh, pre K and kindergarten, first second grade. I had sessions of them uh, with with families working on CISO, working on Power School, how to how to sign, uh, how to get into a Zoom call from. From unified classroom, from CISO, and all that. So I, I definitely have done much more of that this year than what I did in the in the spring, simply because we understood after all that how important is the role of the caregiver uh, in 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 this whole um, online learning and or hybrid hybrid learning, however you want to call it. And the, what I'm hearing too that's really fascinating and exciting is the ability to adapt and to change and to be creative in the midst of this chaotic world that we're living through. And the idea as well of time being a very different experience now and space being a very different experience. And so if I'm working at 7.30, but I was able to have a nice leisurely lunch at home by myself and go out for a walk or call a friend. It's a very different experience than being in a physical classroom, having 10 minutes to quickly adjust during lunch period and go and get what you need done and then go ahead and start right back your next class. And so, yeah, we might be more willing to think about how we can make these different shifts that work for not only our students, but our families. And so I'm curious what your experiences are and what you've heard from teachers throughout the world and throughout the country of what are they seeing in terms of how do we make these types of monumental revolutionary shifts that work really for everybody, including the teachers and the parents, the students, the administration. What have you noticed from that aspect? Megan, there are, there are two things that we, that we identify and the idea, and, I, and this was brought up in one of those um, talks that you were involved, Megan, 
the idea of responsiveness, how we, the, the concept of responsiveness, it used to be responding quickly and eff efficiently, and it developed into this responsive man means now being more aware of what's happening, having that kind of like coaching approach. When I, when I meet with teachers after school, like 60% of what I do is coaching, saying like, you got this, don't worry, I, I'll, I'm with you, see, so it's, it's, it's okay, we, we're going to make it happen. It's, I find myself doing more of that. And as you say, it's, uh, it's taking a little bit more of our, our personal time, right? And that has a consequence as well. Yeah, we have the duty, teachers have that duty, and I, I, at least I, I feel personally that duty of helping families, because I know how difficult it would be to ad adapt a new technology and all that. But also, if you see the results of our, our, our service, it's, 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 it's drying teachers, it's driving them completely exhausted, Megan. And, and I, I don't know if, if you agree. No, it, it was interesting because I think what's been really informative about the focus groups, because we have these anchors of the two surveys, but digging into these focus groups is we're finding that initially teachers were exhausted because we went from so few people having any experience teaching online that they had to really relearn their, their jobs so quickly. So that was so exhausting. And then everything being online, they fell into this, they were exploring, they were really feeling like they were, they're building their, their, their repertoire, feeling good about that. And then we saw yeah, and having some balance, as you said, you know, having having that ability to step away and take a walk at lunchtime. What we're seeing now is teachers reporting a considerable amount of stress. And as we talk to them, they say, well, you know, I actually feel more stress now than I did, say, last May because I'm doing everything. I'm teaching the kids in front of me. And then when my school day ends, I'm still trying to improve my practice, but I have this whole group of students who are not attending class. So I might be recording a lesson for them, or I might be doing that outreach because they haven't showed up to class in three in three days. So what we're seeing right now for about a quarter of the people we surveyed and about similarly, I would say, Daniel, for those who are interviewing, that those people who are in this modality of teaching students in front of them and simultaneously being responsible for either students online in that same class time or another group of students who are online, that has been particularly challenging. So they're not, they're not experiencing really the, 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 the break in a sense, the rest the rest of either a traditional school day or the online school day. So that's what I'm seeing right now, which has just been really interesting for us. I'm a huge proponent. I would love for us to find some more flexibility. Um, I've been so surprised to find how much of my job that I can do, uh, you know, away from the school building. And so I'd love to see that. And, and I think, you know, in a, in a somewhat unrelated way, I think as, it has really pushed conversations to for how do we how do we re envision assessment and how do we re envision these things that we always thought had to be in person in a school building and so the and so that has really emerged as something interesting of the conversations as well but for right now I don't know yet that we're hearing about this balance unless our our respondents are people who are still completely online or are completely in person. I'm just saying wow to myself. You probably saw me mouth it a few times uh, about what's going on with teachers and how much they're taking on. And, you know, also from my research, I, I found that a lot of the schools and the districts in uh, early times like March and April and May, they, they actually said, don't teach anything new, just reinforce existing concepts. So now you can't continue to hold back and say, we're going to reinforce existing concepts because it's a new school year starting up. And so I'm wondering about that, if you're finding that that is part of the stress, that now it's time to do real teaching of new material and it's overwhelming. 
I just by talking with uh, with our colleagues at, at school and with um, um, across the interviews that we that we sustained throughout these these weeks, um, we see the um, how different things are now from uh, how they were in the spring. In the spring, we we were happy to have all these platforms that were ready available for us for free. All these activities and the Cincinnati Zoo had this uh, particular session at one o'clock, and then there was this artist teaching. We had so much in the spring, and we we went through all that to the point that now we're going back to as 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 back to basics, literally like doing what we need to do, make, teaching the students what they need to, to do, like stripping all the, all the content to the, to, the, to the basics of what they need to, 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 to learn and, and try not to, to do too much of, of anything going back to basics. And uh, I, I don't know if, 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 if it's, uh, it's, it's, it's only in, in our... In our environment, in the independent schools or international schools, I, I really don't know, don't have much information about public schools. But I, I'm curious to, to see what's happening there. Yeah, I would say, Pamela, I think there's definitely that sense that this is different. Not only are we now we real, all realize that we're in it for the long haul and that um, we have teachers reporting to us, the vast majority, saying that they will be evaluated this year and that um and so they there's even that external pressure for what's happening in the classroom and and how they might still be be learning on those platforms there are teachers who say uh, you know i i have to really adjust my second grade curriculum because i'm really reaching back to my first grade uh, team to say I, I really need to build and reinforce these skills in a different way i'm re I'm not, they were not just revisiting them at the start of the school year. I'm teaching them um, in second grade. So that's been a part of it. And then there's the layer of if, if we aren't in person, how we keep hearing about how, how challenging it is now to build relationships. Whereas in the spring, you were maintaining relationships with students. And even this morning, I had a teacher say to me, you know, in the spring, I knew something about that student. I could reach out to them. We could connect and I could feel like I could have this conversation and I don't, ha I don't have that now because I don't know these students, these ninth graders who came in to me. I, I've never met them before. It's all online. They don't want to turn on their, you know, their camera. And, and so, so we're really trying to, we're trying what we've always, you know, our, 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 our task is to engage students, to take on this, this learning and, and challenges and in an environment where we don't have the relationships and we're feeling pressure and we might not always feel like we have the best tools to, to teach skills that maybe are, are new to us as well, because we haven't, we might've always taught ninth grade, but, or might've always taught second grade, but we're teaching it in a much different way right now. So I'm curious what you're noticing in terms of how have schools adjusted to changing expectations? How have teachers adjusted? And what are you noticing in terms of what really stands out in terms of being the actual most important things right now? Educators looking more to collaborate across platforms so that, and in this way, really make what's happening in the classroom authentic across the various platforms so that even though we're going back to the basics, but we're still making sure that there's the, 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 the interest and the engagement and the curiosity there. Um, I've been really interested about the assessment piece, especially, um, and how in responding to even students themselves, really this idea of how, how, how can you try to bring in those traditional assessment uh, <laughs> you know, structures when I'm not learning under those same structures. So what, what, where, how is there that, how is there a connection there? So I think, you know, we'll continue to, to question those, those structures and, and to look at, and to look at our, you know, how our system and our policies and what's serving us. And, and it was interesting to me in our focus groups, I uh, we're, really what's emerging is, a group of educators and 
really feeling like I want to go back to the way that things were before. And it's, and I'm really glad to have these enhanced technology skills, but please, I want to go, you know, back to how that was and other educators being so excited about this shaking up our structures that were not serving us. And, and what might that mean uh, for the future? And so far, what's, what really has come, come up as we look back and we listen to the interviews that we've done have been assessment and relationships and, and not quite so much about the curriculum because I, I think that people feel as though that that is happening. Learning continues to happen, even if it's in ways that we're not controlling as much these days. Yeah. Communication and collaboration has been key in, in as you said, Megan, in, uh, it, it has been um, such an important piece in, in, this, in this process to the point that we, um, we've seen in many instances where schools are, are sort of like taking uh, unnecessary parts or jobs that the teacher w- were doing before. As an example... Uh, before before uh, this year, some uh, our, our lower school and, and I, I've seen this happening in, in other countries as well. Uh, every um, classroom teacher in the lower school had to maintain their own um, classroom pages. We call them class pages in Unified Classroom, where they put the assignments, announcements, calendar, the menu, and all this information that students and parents see at home. So they have combined now, if, if we have two second grade classes, instead of having independent class pages, they have one class page, one set of class pages, and this brings collaboration and, and there's less work for the teachers in that sense. So collaboration and communication has been key. The other uh, component is the discovery or rediscovery or, of some of, of these uh, cool um, technology tools that uh, in, the, in the lower school, again, um, for instance, CISO has, has been rediscovered by, by many teachers as a, as a tool to register, to record student progress, right? The, that, that particular item of assessment is, is super sensitive, right? But if you have the right tools, if you allow the student to, to sort of like communicate verbally and then through a picture and then through a, maybe through a little paragraph or whatever it is, so you collect data across time that is going to inform you where they are at, at this particular point. And the other thing I wanted to say is that um, this particular year, besides the curriculum, besides COVID, besides technology, all that we had the element of DEI, the equity, justice, and all that has been such a big, a, a big part of our lives that has been incorporated into, into what, what teachers are doing in the classroom that, ha- that has honestly occupied a lot of, of, of the time from teachers. We adopted new standards, we adopted new ways of doing things. So it, it has really been a complex year. I, I, uh, yes, uh, the curriculum definitely has, has been impacted, but there has been, we have seen how all these other elements are also uh, taking uh, a prominent role in, in education. I worry about this entire time in education as increasing the schism between those who have and those who have not. Um, we know that in New York City, they went one-to-one kind of on the fly. They were on on threading laptops off of laptop carts and giving them out. And the same thing happened in Philadelphia and some other districts. I, I'm wondering how you feel about digital equity and food uh, emergency and different insecurity and things like that right now in this school year based on some of the um, schools and teachers you've spoken to? Yeah, I can speak a little bit to that. I think what's interesting is that we found out that even within New York, there are still students waiting for devices. So there has been this big push to distribute devices, but that, you know, that, obviously right away we realized was not going to solve the the equity divide. I think we've heard of some really interesting ways that districts have pivoted to make sure that both food and resources are, are being made available to students. So the school bus is making sure that, you know, that's your Wi-Fi and that's your lunch. And, and so I've been really impressed that, 
that districts have made that a priority to make sure that that's available to, to students. But we're still finding going back to what was evident in our survey in March, which was discussed by principals this summer at one of the major conferences. And we're still seeing it now is that you can you can provide that device to a student, but if you weren't in a position as like Daniel was speaking about before, where we had started that education in, in our school, how do you submit, how do you, what do you do with a Google doc and so forth? If you weren't a student in a position like that, and if you're a very young student, having that technology isn't very helpful. And so one of, um, one of the teachers who was in the focus group has her own children learning at home. And she said, it's so hard because how the, my kindergartner, I go in and she was supposed to leave the classroom and go to her PE lesson. And she's decided she's going to have a snack because she doesn't know how to click on the link or find the link for zoom for PE because I was late. So even a teacher, her own child, so that they she understands that she's using the same platforms. The equity is, is there someone at home to support that? Absolutely. And um, the goal, this uh, t- takes us back to the idea of, uh, of, of having to think not only about the student, but also who's at home supporting the student, right? Because the child may have a Chromebook, but if the caregiver doesn't know how to operate a Chromebook, it's, it's exactly as if the child didn't have that particular device. But uh, uh, on, on, a, on, a, on a similar and uh, related topic, I think, the, um, the whole equity conversation has led us to, and teachers as well, to perhaps to revise the, the way we are assign, uh, assigning homework or tasks to our students. At, at first, it was like um, assignments would, would read something like this, print the, the page and color the whatever or underline, assuming that everyone had access to, to, the, to a printer, right? Or things, things like that. Now, uh, I've seen educators crafting their assignments to a point where you cannot assume that the student has X or Y. You cannot assume that students have access to a, a to a, a particular uh, piece of technology or an application, or you have to, uh, as, as uh, educational uh, or technology teams, we have to make sure that we have all those tools in place before we ask a student to complete a particular assignment. We were talking about, uh, before about uh, podcasting and video making and all that. All those things have been put on the side for the time being. I haven't been in one classroom doing podcasting this year so far. In years, in previous years, I had completed already uh, who knows how many documentaries and podcasts. Now, those things have been put on hold and we're trying to think hard on, on activities that sort of like fulfill a similar purpose, but don't rely so heavily in, in technologies that, more, uh, that some students may not have access to. Your curiosity that started this whole journey for you guys with your interviews and um, being able to kind of be forward thinking, to be global minded, how have we changed and what can we learn from that and take with us as we move forward to prioritize ourselves? Well, I think what um, was really positive coming out of our more recent work was how much more prepared educators felt to be doing the work that they're doing now. And it's been really exciting to hear about people just really have whatever point they are in their career as an educator and whatever position that they are, that they have really been so flexible that they have been willing to reinvent themselves and that they the, the the collaboration, I think every time we come away, away from a conversation and in even understanding that the conversations that we're having themselves become part of that collaboration because our focus group participants talk a lot about what they're learning from each other just from the conversations. So I think I think it goes to what we're coming out of this is that, we're, we're willing to rethink just about every part of education at this point. Um, and I really see that so much 
from the people on the ground, the people in the classroom, the educators who are directly delivering the lessons. And, and they have been the first, I mean, from the time that I saw pictures of people using their shower tiles as whiteboards to everything else that has been happening. And, and, and again, their dedication, their incredible dedication to work these long hours and to make this impossible situation work for the benefit of learning and, and, and our students. I, I guess where I still have pause is that we still hear that maybe there isn't that same sense of flexibility always inherent in the larger structures and systems around uh, these educators. So that educators are still, and again, in our survey, they're thinking, you know, I feel pretty safe at work. So they, they're responding that they feel pretty safe. I feel like there's a good plan in place for students for their education. The expectations for me, we see the exact opposite. So me as an educator, I don't feel like my leadership has realistic expectations for me. We see educators on their own um, accessing PD. Daniel and I asked about the PD, you know, what's what's been provided over the summer and into the fall. Very I think we might have lost you again, Megan. So, Daniel, you were talking about yeah, some of the PD. Yes, that's a that's a very very important point that uh, we found uh, that we find very often in these interviews. And and the teachers are, are are investing more of their time and more of their own resources into learning, um, whether it's uh, new strategies or new technologies, which which is. Um, it is a, a common a common find in our in our research, and and Megan, I wanted to uh, sort of like uh, yeah um, highlight what you mean about flexibility. I don't know if you recall that interview of, of teacher from that was uh, teaching in Azerbaijan. He was teaching from Guatemala, twelve hours different with Baku, so he was teaching overnight to his students in in Azerbaijan, and he said. He thought it, he was doing a great job. He was staying up. He was uh, like pumped and energetic and all that. And when he moved uh, to Istanbul now, where he's teaching still remotely, but like with a couple of hours different, he's, he's, he says that looking back, everything seemed so like uh, glacy, like foggy, that at the time he thought he was doing a great job. But now looking back, he thought uh, that he perhaps... Uh, was wasn't giving the the best uh, of himself to his students. So that ability of self reflection and 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 so like looking at at what you're doing and 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 correcting course or adding things, changing things. I think it's a valuable uh, mindset. Uh, something else is uh, going back to the res responsiveness, right? Responsiveness not in not in not only in terms of of helping others, but how you react when things change, things that you have invested time learning. I don't know if you, if you recall how, how different Zoom was at the beginning, how different it is now. Remember when we had to deal with Zoom bombing and all that and, and how to remember to, to set all these things? Teachers have, have adapted so well to those things, to the, to the updates, to the improvements of the platform and all that. And I think that's, 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 that shows how, how good the mindset is now. I recall trying to teach teachers before COVID uh, and how an application changed. Let's say that you, we went from Photoshop X to uh, Photoshop Y. People struggled and say, oh, there's too much changes. Why can't they leave it alone? Why can't they just leave the platform alone? I, I learned that Photoshop. Why is it different now? Now, today, I, I find in this conversation that teachers are just like, Accepting all these and uh, all these changes and incorporating into into their into the routine. So I think there's more flexibility. There's more responsiveness in types of that, and there's the teachers are um, have that ability of of self-reflecting and and implementing new things uh, easily now. Yeah, and and I would definitely agree. And I think that's where teachers really want to see that reflection in leadership at the leadership level and that flexibility and responsiveness so that they're they're excited about about this change and they want people at other levels of education to really reflect on what do we take from this and what is important and so what do we keep and and what do we really re-envision at this point what are some what are some of the really kind of important pieces of information, the how-tos, the 
discoveries that, um, you know, readers of like no other school year might look forward to reading about in your chapter that are really helpful right now. It was great that the beginning of the chapter is definitely Megan and Daniel talking about their work, which is which is awesome. And I'd I'd love to um, hear what you have to say about, you know, what what you're going to do next. Yeah. So when we were collecting the initial survey and. I think we had gathered so much practical information to share out with our colleagues at that point. They were really interested in, you know, how teaching practices, platforms, and also how they were supporting students with social emotional learning and their own, um, their own, you know, social emotional needs. What we're seeing now, we continue to see really the same, the same trends, um, Interestingly, our, in our first survey, what really emerged related to equity, um, so it related both to the access to the devices, as well as that support at home to continue learning, and that was primary. What we're seeing, and, 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 and other concerns, you know, as well for the impact on teachers, as Daniel said earlier, just playing out exhausted teachers. What we saw in this most recent um, most recent survey that's a shift that connects back to um, what's in our what's in the book chapter is is this um, idea of the impact on teachers and whereas before there was a concern about maybe lack of leadership or lack of clarity of direction for educators and at the time even lack of professional development to support them that continues moving forward. And so I think it will be interesting for readers to, to look at that and to think about how especially those two areas, equity and this impact on, on teachers um, continues and, and, and their, own, their own experience and how they as a leader can start, you know, really focusing on those two areas in their own, you know, in their own practice, in their own building, because those continue to emerge as those primary areas that uh, educational leaders need to focus on. I, I agree. Yes, that has been a, a very interesting. Um, th those are interesting points, but I, I, I also, I want to, I would like to know, and I would like to also see um, what um, changes or what of all these remain with, with, with our educational communities? I mean, I, I've seen the, the faces of teachers um, now and, and how happy they are with some of the, of the educational um, platforms that we have implemented, both in the lower school and in the upper school. I would like to see how much of that will stay after all, all this, now that they have experienced. Before it was so hard to, to get uh, a teacher to try um, some uh, of these platforms. Like for instance, Padlet, Flipgrid, CISO, as I said before in the, in the lower school. Now that the teachers have seen all these platforms in action, in, in, in real life scenarios, I would like to see how much of that will, will, will stay. And I'm also curious about what will happen with all the, um, the post um, COVID um, let me give you an example. I, my, my wife teaches teaches music, and she's doing all her concerts and all that virtually, right? I am. She rec she records her students sometimes just audio only, sometimes video, and I am the one putting all the, the the little frames and all that happening at the same time and all that. You should see. You should see the the recordings that I get, and how beautiful it looks afterwards. I would like to know what is the impact or what impact is that having in 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 the students. Because some of them are, are submitting the assignments late, the quality is very poor, but yet the product is be beautiful because we, we have to submit a beautiful product, something that can be shared on YouTube, that can be used as, as a, a promotional material for, for schools, for the program and all that. But I see this being a little bit of a, of a disservice to, 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 to the cost because the student is submitting like all these assignment we cannot ask them to resubmit or, or to change because everyone is so much under pressure so stressed there's no time so many reasons to say that that's what they were able to submit now we we do this editing and all that we make these final products look as good as they can as we can and then and then present it i don't know if, if this is a disservice for 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 students when they see uh that submitting whatever they submitted 
goes that that long way. So yeah, I'm I'm very curious about the aftermath of of of, of COVID. I want to see how many devices we get back from families. Usually, we used to 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 lend computers. We would get computers without chargers, with broken keyboards, broken cameras. Now I want to see. I would like to see how much of that is going to return. I I, I want to see. I, ha I have so many questions uh, about about the future. I want to that I that I'm curious. I'm curious to to find out, and perhaps that's why it keeps me motivated, Megan, to keep having all these conversations to see see where we land and and what lesson lessons we learn and what lessons stay with us. I love the. I love all these questions. I love all these big ideas. I love the findings that you've created and found from your conversations. I love the emergence of, uh, I keep coming back to these three C's that I'm hearing, the creativity, collaboration, and curiosity, um, how we can come out of this uh, COVID crisis, continuing the C's there with being able to really think about um, future-oriented ways of deciding what we do in education that that works for everybody and finding how do we not just go back to what what we were doing before how to incorporate what we're learning now how do we innovate and get to the next level of creations that will really be groundbreaking ways of educating the next generation of leaders uh, and so I'm, I'm so thankful for your time I know uh, you guys have been doing incredible work and interviewing people all over the world um, we can't wait for your findings to come out for the to kind of compare to what you were talking about in your chapter in, in your forward um, of the chapter in, in Pamela's book to what you're experiencing now. So hopefully we'll be able to keep in touch with you and to learn more about that and to get more of your findings. And for our listeners, how can they keep in touch with you and find out what you are finding? And, and as we talked about earlier, get that information that you're trying to disseminate so that we can make these changes that we're talking about. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here and thank you for the invitation. Thank you, Pamela, for the great work you're doing, for, for the research, for, for the book. And uh, to Megan as well. Every time I have a conversation with Megan, I learn so much. That's why I, 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 I love to do what we do. As did we today. So yes, thank you to you, Daniel. Thank you, Megan. Um, how can we get that more information from you guys? How do we keep in touch with both of you? Where can, where can our listeners find you guys? Well, we can both be um, found at our Lamont Manhattan um, email addresses. We're both listed on their website. And we also, in addition to um, being included in Pamela's book, we have some articles on Wren's Nest, which is a publication um, from the School of William and Mary. So they can look there and we would anticipate that our we, we already have our full research brief is linked to one of the articles on Wren's Nest from October. So they can find it there. And we anticipate that we will be submitting our follow-up survey results there as well. Awesome. That's so exciting. Again, thank you so much for all of this. We'll put all that information into the notes for this episode. And thanks to both of you. And thanks to Pamela and Michael. And uh, great conversation, guys. And so thank you again. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you. Josh and I hope you enjoyed listening to this week's episode of Amplifying Optimism in Education. Please join us next week for another new episode and conversation with an innovative educator from around the world.